listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I'm the host of the show. This episode features an x-ray technician named Jason Kelly. He lives in Portland, Oregon, and he happens to be an old friend of mine who I've known since high school. You may have noticed that most of the guests on Feel Free to Deviate are old friends of mine. I guess that's part of the format at this point. Like I said, Jason is an x-ray technician, but he got to that point after doing a bunch of other stuff. I hope you enjoy our discussion about finding one's way in the world. We also talk a bit about working in healthcare during COVID times. Let me know if you have any questions or comments afterwards. I'm open to that sort of thing for the most part. Sometimes I'm not, but but mostly I am. Send an email to mail at feelfreetodeviate.com. Time keeps on ticking into the future. It's still 2022, but January is over, and I think that means that I need to start making summer plans. After talking to Jason, I started to think that if the job search continues to go poorly, I should probably start some intensive home improvement projects. I know that would make at least one person happy. That person knows who she is, but I think she's a few episodes behind, so I still have a few weeks. My home could use some serious improvement, but I always find it hard to motivate myself to start those types of projects. Once it gets going, it's fine, and, and, and I do a pretty good job. Getting started is like pulling teeth. Actually, I think the worst part about home improvement is the cleanup. After doing all the hardcore stuff, the last thing I want to do is clean. Get out the vacuum cleaner. Start scrubbing things. Really, I'd rather just podcast all the time. Pay someone else to improve my home. But that is not going to happen. I, I guess that's my deviation for the day. Thank you for choosing Feel Free to Deviate. This is my conversation with Jason Kelly. I have a lot of thoughts on over-communicating and sharing. And I've always been a processor, but I'm also, by the end of the day, I don't have a lot of compassion. Like, you get compassion fatigue working in healthcare. Yeah. So sometimes by the time I get home, I'm like, I, I'm like shut off almost. Not, not completely, but I'm just like, oh no. Hot topics. <laughs> I can't do any hot topics. <laughs> <laughs> Word. I, I mean, that's that, and then and that's not just with my daughter; that's with my wife as well. Lori's stuck at home working all by herself all day long, and then I'm with a million people a day. So you know, you come home and like everyone's in a different space. Yeah. But Layla will share, um, and she will tell us what's going on. But we also have to, you know, we have to pull teeth. But like, what did you do in school today? Mm-hmm. What subjects did you learn? You know, what, what interested you? What did you learn basically? Yep. Or who did you play with? What did you, you know, what, what's going on? And so that's hard to get anything out of her. We'll find out from like another parent that there was this huge drama in the class over something. And you didn't hear anything about not, it. Yeah. Not involving Layla or anything, but it was like a kid had to be basically like dragged out of the room because he was being violent, you know, and like, <laughs> she doesn't tell us like, why don't you tell us that? How's your day? Oh, it's good. Anything exciting happening? No. <laughs> Nothing. No, just the kid throwing the desk across the room, you know? It's just like, <laughs> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> that's um that's a good place to start, I think. Yeah, and, and that well, and in some ways you're like, okay, so like it takes, you know, it takes a good amount to rattle Layla's cage in some ways. That's good. <laughs> um but at the same time, just these are kind of things you should share with mom and dad. Like you know. De- desk throwing has been normalized, Jason. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I get it. I used to throw desks. Did you? Did you throw a desk? <laughs> I threw a desk once. So it was in elementary school. 
the, you know, because I went to St. Anthony's, so there wasn't a very big class. And so there was the, the guys decided that they were going to have one day a week that it was your day to get picked on, you know. And it, st- it started with the more popular guys that were friends, and they would just pick on each, pick on each other all day long. But, like, it was coming. My turn was coming. It was going to be my day to get picked on. And, like, I, I just wasn't into it. It's very, very emotional. You di- you didn't want to get picked on? No. That surprises me. Oh, now I, my, my coworkers pick on me all the time. I love it. That's how I know they like me. I'm just kidding. I, I can't imagine wanting to be picked on when I was in school or even now. Well, but the picking on, it was fun for them because they were just friends. So they were joking around with each other, but I wasn't that close to them. So when it was going to get to me, it was going to, it was going to rub a nerve, you know? So it was like basically my day. And I went in hot. It was like recess indoors and they were starting and I just picked up a desk and threw it at them and they stopped. <laughs> what do you got now, buddy? I know. It's like, <laughs> you can pick on me, but it's going to go crazy. <laughs> this is this is not what you expected, is it? <laughs> yeah. And you know, you know me. I, you know, when I was younger, I had a bit of a temper. So, Well, that that is true. And that's actually on my list of things that I want to talk about. Not Not necessarily a temper, but. There was something that I noticed. Anyway, I, it's on my list of things to talk about. I'm just going to do a very brief intro. Jason Kelly, old friend. When I started this podcast, you commented that you never remembered having a goal, that you didn't want to be something when you grew up. But that is not how I remember it, and that's why I'm, as, I'm asking you to do this today. I remember you doing or thinking about a lot of things. You've pivoted several times over the course of your life, sometimes in major ways. And I guess that doesn't specifically mean that you had or have goals, but it all seems very deliberate to me. So what's your deal? I'm, I'm just wondering, how do you feel about success? Have you found what you're looking for? Does the search continue? Well, first of all, how would you like to introduce yourself? How, how do you introduce yourself? Completely different than how you remember me. It's so weird. So when I was, when I was younger, like in our teenage years, I don't remember having a plan at all. I know I was, I would get into things and then I would get into something else and then I would get into something else. I I, I do remember that actually. Yeah. I don't remember ever having like a, like, I really want to do this thing and I'm going to like put my nose to it and do it. I was, I was like, this is really cool. Let's learn about this. Yeah. This is really cool. Let's learn about this. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about? Well, kind of, but you know, when you decided to go to school, you went to business school, right? But you're also still involved with music. I'm not sure if you ever really thought about music as something that you wanted to do as a career option, but you know, you worked as a a cook in the restaurant and you, you seem to actually sort of be interested in the restaurant business for a while. And, and like you talked about it with authority and as if it was something that you actually wanted to do. Oh, and I, I did. You're right. You're right. And and it seemed like, oh, he's probably going to go in on this diner with Tim or whoever. And then you would pivot. And then you would pivot. <laughs> I think the, re- the, re- the reality of things would slap me in the face a little bit. <laughs> okay. and then But then you actually, you know, I'm not going to say that it's the coolest thing you ever did, but you owned a drive-in movie theater. How cool it is was, that? It might be one of the coolest things I ever did. <laughs> it's definitely cool. <laughs> it's not easy to do. No. That's for sure. Um, it doesn't come by that often. We can get to that in a second. So the, so the cooking thing. So when you started this podcast, I immediately was like, I want to be on this podcast. I used to think a lot about, and I still do, but not as much now. I used to think a lot about how people find careers, how they find this thing that they, 
they focus on, they get good at, and they get paid to do. And they, they're successful in that way. You know, as, you know, as I've gotten older, the idea of whatever success is, is sort of changes a lot and it's not, it's not so straightforward, right? When I was a teenager and working as a line cook, it was one of the first jobs I had. I was good at it. So I figured, okay, this is my thing. I'm a cook. And then graduating high school or getting close to graduating high school, I started to explore the idea of going to culinary school and looking into it a little bit. It wasn't this simple, but kind of one of the things that turned me off from it was that I started to realize I didn't really understand food very well. I was a good line cook, which is totally different. And also, I was going to have to learn some like other languages. And at that time, it sounds great now. What do you mean? Like like French? French, basically French. And so I thought I was going to have to learn French. And I was like, I, I had such a hard time with the languages in high school that it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I think I just sort of backed away from that. Maybe I didn't want to understand food that much. And also, like, I didn't want to learn another language. Now I know that you were just learning French cooking terms, really. You weren't going to learn. You weren't doing a deep dive in French. Foie gras. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's just like uh, I, I was ignorant. I didn't really know what I was thinking. But, or, or I was just afraid. And I didn't, want to, I didn't want to know anymore so that I could just kind of get myself out of it. Humans do that. I do it all the time. I did it a lot when I was younger. So once I knew I wasn't going to do that, I didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated high school, right? And I was blown away that people knew what they were going to do. I'm still blown away that people know what they're going to do. I, I think it's bullshit most of the time. Okay. That's a good, that, that's a big topic in my mind for, especially having a kid who's eventually going to get there. So, you know, graduating high school, I was an okay student. It wasn't great. All I wanted to do was skateboard, you know? drive around in our cars. That's what we used to do, right? We used to just drive around our cars, go skateboarding and, you know, geek out about girls. That's all we did. That was Winstead. <laughs> it really Well, there was nothing else to do. There, there was nothing else to do. <laughs> I mean, we were sober too. I mean, I was like, just, just like driving all the time, driving around, listening to music <laughs> and stops, go skateboarding or something. Anyway, so graduating high school I was okay student, not a great student. Didn't really like learning. So I decided to just go to the community college because that made sense, right? Sure. I think it was there talking to other people that I realized it might be really fun to like leave home and go to school. So that's how I ended up at Western, right? You know, that whole time I was there, it was all about skateboarding. And eventually through meeting Ed and Andrew and all them, it was about music. So the business school thing was just sort of like, I don't know, running in the background. I liked it. I liked the marketing side of it and the creative side of it. And I thought for a while that that's what was going to happen, that I was going to be business guy. Yeah, business, like a marketing guy, like a madman kind of thing, you know, prior to even knowing about that, you know, the creative side of marketing seemed enticing. You get paid to be creative, right? That sounds great. Come up with a big idea. Exactly. You know, we, I did well when I applied myself, but as I got close to graduation, it was also like, I can't see myself in a suit and I can't see myself in an office building. So I had one of the jobs that I had in between terms was delivering snack foods down in Danbury area. Right. And I I would end up going and delivering these snack foods to the same office buildings that I should have been graduating and going and getting jobs in, like marketing firms down there. I was like, ah, I don't want to be in here. I mean, I don't want to be delivering snack foods for the rest of my life either, but I know I don't want to be in an office building. <laughs> At least you'd be helping people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not poisoning them with <laughs> shitty snack foods. 
But that's did, did you do that the whole time you lived in in Hadley as well? Because one of my yes. notes here is what I don't have any recollection of what your job was when you were living in Hadley. It's exactly what my job was. The only job I had. It was awesome. It was awesome. Okay. Well, anyway, back to Connecticut. So I real that's when I that's when I realized that the marketing thing was not for me. But I still like the idea of being maybe having a business. And that's when I got given the opportunity to do the drive-in movie theater. The guy that I used to work for, the restaurateur. Uh, that, that's a that's a stretch. <laughs> he wasn't a restaurateur. I think you'll like that title. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he would. <laughs> Tim was approached by the drive-in owners to buy it, but he he didn't have enough time to do it. Right. But he had the funding. So his wife and I were technically the partners. And then we got it up and running again. So I took care of like the... The projectors, which was the best part ever. Yeah, no, uh, I still have then, a I have a thirty five millimeter reel here from you. Yeah, um, I have one too. Still, I'm not sure where it is. You still you have one. I have one. That's amazing. I have one too. Um, I don't know where it is. It's on the wall. Where is it? Yeah, I had it on the I had it on the wall until recently, but I I honestly I, I have no, yeah I don't know where it's probably on a shelf somewhere. It's like aluminum, right? Yeah, and it's it's a really nice one. It's 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 rather ornate. If I find it, I'll take a picture of it. It'll be it'll be in the promo. So to learn how to do that was cool. And, you know, we get into driving up and running again because it was sort of fading away. Donna did a really good job in getting like the first run films in, and we got the you know all that line cook experience it brought in to get the you know the concession stand hopping. Yeah, um, and we did great. You know, we bought it, paid it, paid off what we owed on it, which wasn't really much if you think about it. And we were good to go for the second season. It was going to make a little bit more money. It was kind of hard to get an income when we were trying to pay it all off right away. Yeah, I can imagine. And I was really excited about it, but they got kind of weird with me. Like control-wise? Yes. And you, you know how Tim was. Well, I mean, I I, I know one-sided story. <laughs> right. <laughs> second season's coming up. We're about ready to start getting together and have meetings before in the spring to talk about what we're going to do this year, how we're going to run it. And then they're, they're trying to tell me that the community doesn't like me, that... What? Yeah, exactly, that I'm not doing a good job and that people are concerned that my being involved with the drive-in is going to kind of ruin what's going on with the drive-in. And at the same time, like, I was feet on the ground for an entire season. And with everyone in the community telling me, <laughs> you guys did it, you brought it back. yeah. And half the people that were there were probably going because of you. Yes. I mean, you were a young guy getting all the young people to go to the drive-in. I guess it wouldn't take much to get everybody to go to the drive-in, but I mean, it's a small area. Everyone knew you. Yeah. Just my extended family alone could have put us back in the black. For real. Yeah. So I knew, I knew it was bullshit. But I was also like, everybody was moving to Massachusetts. You guys were all up in Massachusetts now. Oh. And I was done with school. I really wanted to just go up to Massachusetts and play rock and roll with my friends. Right. Um, and I was 21, maybe 22. And I was <laughs> 21. I, I know. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I don't. There wasn't enough money in it as a partnership to really do it for the summer and then take a winter off. That was the real drive behind that. Yeah. So I was just like, just, just buy me out so they bought me out and then it closed like well that's kind of the story of that drive-in it was just always open kind of and then closed and well they did good for a while and then it was come back and everyone would make a big deal out of it and then it would go away again but it seems like a pretty big misstep to alienate you in that equation they didn't care they just they were out they were they were a family that were out for themselves they were really petty people i mean i i, I was my dad was furious not with me he was so disgusted with them Mm -hmm. uh, that they would 
you know, that they would behave that way to somebody who had actually worked really hard on something with them. But also someone you had history with them, you know, you basically worked with or for them for like 10 years or whatever. I mean, maybe not 10 years, five years. Yeah. Five years, high school, a little after, but they were, Tim was verbally abusive in that restaurant setting and that, in that restaurant setting sort of like ultimately just never wanted to work in that kind of environment again because of the kind of verbal abuse. No matter how hard you worked and how fast you worked and how well you did, you could have done better. I can't believe I, I lasted that long. I surprised my parents even let me have that job after a while because, you know, I have nightmares about that job. Yeah. And I, I'll still have a dream or two every once in a while where I'm working that You long. have restaurant dreams still? Yeah. That is crazy. At least once a year. And there's a similarity between being an x-ray tech in a busy orthopedic clinic and being a line cook. Like, well, I can imagine that this, this stress level is like, you need to get this done stat. I said stat because that's what they say on the medical shows. I need this stat. Yeah. We, we just laugh at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like it's a high output. You know, it, the orthopedic clinics would be really high output. So it's sort of like a, being a line cook in a restaurant. Sure. That, that similarities drop off there, really. But do you have, do you have, X, do you have x-ray dreams? Did, did we say that you're an x-ray technician already? Oh, no, I don't think you're. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, I think we were just leading up to it, I guess. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, the x-ray tech thing. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, not anymore. I mean, when I was a student and, uh, you know, everything was on the line, I used to have some dreams. I don't, I don't anywhere. Uh, okay, so the drive-in, that was awesome. But then I just wanted to go play rock and roll with you guys in Hadley. Sure. So we ended up there. And then that's where I had that snack food delivery job. And I had that job the entire time I was there. And they were really nice people to work for. They appreciated me. They gave me a lot of autonomy. I got to drive around all Western Massachusetts every day. And then there's plenty of energy left over to hang out with you guys. So I, I had no problems with it. There's certainly worse places to drive around all day. For sure. And, you know, honestly, like I, I wasn't career minded at the time. I, I didn't, I don't know. I guess I always thought I was going to be a rock and roll star or something. I guess I get at the time I was not very talented, but. Who among us is? I know. Uh, some, of, some of them were. Some of them really were. It wasn't, certainly wasn't me. And I definitely didn't have the dedication. But, I, you know, it was a nice dream. Like, loved playing music with everybody. and But eventually it was like, okay, I got it. You know, the East Coast is, it's over. I left the East Coast. I didn't remember that you were driving the snack truck. Now that you say that, I, I sort of I sort of remember it. But I do remember that before you left, it just seemed like you stopped doing everything and started selling things. You and Sean took this crazy demolition job where you were destroying a, an old school. Oh, that was before we moved up. That was before you moved to Massachusetts? Yep. Oh, no. Okay. So, no, that was the exact same time that Sean and I moved up. And I don't know how we managed that. Like Because you were young. Yeah. Like partying all night and then getting up at five, driving an hour. Yeah. Well, I just remember you guys saying that you couldn't feel your hands. Oh, yeah. No, I was no nerve damage, but just the arms were so swollen all the time. It was like pinching, pinching on the nerves. I was 20 and strong and dumb. So it was, and it was still kind of hard work. But anyway, that, no, that was in the beginning of the Hadley thing. That was just a opportunity. I thought it was the end, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't. Cause I did the, I did a stack food thing and you're right. I just started selling everything, all the instruments, everything. Whatever. And, I, and that's when I got into photography. That sort of is what led me all the way to the end of where I am now. When you decided to, leave western massachusetts and go to portland was there a goal i'm just wondering about yes like what was the goal the goal was to get out of the east coast and see the west and take a bunch of pictures and learn photography that was the goal but in portland wasn't on, I, I stopped in montana for a couple of years oh right 
Uh, Portland, well, I had no idea about Portland. I mean, we knew about Portland because that's where Pond was from, right? And the music scene was hot. I mean, we were in love with the the, the Pacific Northwest music scene, you remember? I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't. I stopped in Montana because that's kind of where I ran out of money. How long were you there? Two years. And what did you do there? Oh, a, a lot of things. <laughs> I had so many jobs. I had like seven jobs in two years while I was there. It was horrible for work. It was hard to find decent work in that town. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous to be there. And Frank was living there. So, you know, I love Frank. So we got to spend a lot of time together. But I was my, my goal was to like, learn how to do photography. So like every day I would just do photography and I would go hiking like crazy and climbing and always carrying the cameras around. And did you want to make a living at that? Yeah. I mean, that was the goal. I was like, I think I could do this. But what did you want to do? I don't know. Weddings? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever really wanted to be a wedding photographer. Does anybody really want to be a wedding photographer? Dude, some people do. Yeah, I guess I got, we have a couple, I have a couple coworkers who do that. A lot of photographers do it because it's it's the best way to make money. But I think some of some of them are actually they really want to do it and they're very good at it. And that's just how it goes. Okay, so I'll get back to that. Okay, because I, I I have done them, but I don't think I said, "Hey, I want to be a wedding photographer." I was more into landscape photography. Yeah, and very lucrative. Yeah, rich. <laughs> you know, but I would look at like uh, you know, photo district news and stuff like that, and yep. you know, those old mags. And I don't know, is PDN still around? I I assume so. Okay. Anyway, you, you look at that stuff, and be like, well, that's cool. Commercial stuff looks kind of neat too. You know, products stuff like that. Who knows? But I just need to learn more. So one of the reasons why I left Montana was because so many people I had met coming through Montana were from Portland, and I had a friend that managed a youth hostel, so I would hang out with her. And we meet all these people and people were like, you know, you should go to Portland. You should go to Portland. You should go to Portland. So the, the, the little bit of internet access I had, I would look it up and be like, oh, okay, let's go. So Sean, that's when Sean and I did our little cross country trip and we, we moved here together in 2001. I'm going to go back to what you said before about throwing a desk. <laughs> How does that work? Okay, go ahead. I've got, I've got, there's a reason for this. Okay. One of the things that I remember about young Jason Kelly Jason Kelly as a young man in New England, you were an angsty dude. Yeah. I think we all are. I think it's just like an, a New England thing maybe, uh-huh. but you were an angsty dude. Like I remember one time, you know, you have this restaurant background. One time we were at some crappy diner somewhere and you ordered steak and eggs and the steak wasn't good. And you, I'm not going to say you freaked out. No, I freaked out probably. <laughs> <laughs> But you like, like just shoved the plate away, like that you were completely uh, disgusted, and like you could see this look on your face, like you wanted to kill the guy who cooked it. Oh my god! And and I, I, just, I mean, it was funny. No, here, but hang on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> There's a point. Okay, thank you. So between between throwing steak and throwing desks, I remember after you came back to visit us from Portland, it was like. Not like you were a different person, but like there was a switch that went off. You were so different when you came back. You were like mellow almost. Yeah. Like what the hell happened? Well, I felt, I found, I found home. Okay. So one of the reasons I left the East Coast was because of the human climate. Every time I wanted to try something new, everybody would say, you don't do that. That's not what you do. Even down to like some of our friends. Every time I wanted to do something, they're like, yeah, you're probably never going to be really good at it. So what's the <laughs> fucking point? And you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. but So it, it was like when I came out here, everyone's like, I, you know, I'd be like, hey, I want to try this. They're like, you should totally try that. Just do it. 
And here's where you can go do that. And I know this guy that does that. And, oh, you should meet this person. They're really, they're really into the same thing. And as soon as I came here, I started meeting all these people that were really into photography to the point where I was like, I my best friend owns a camera store. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of, a, it's a very well-known camera store as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's like huge now. People, people know that place. Yeah. International. It's got an international desk now, you know, and we're still best friends. He was one, in my wedding. He was my best man. Yeah. And this is the community that all of a sudden I'm around and it's the community I, that I really wanted. And so it made me feel better and less angsty. And so when I got here, I'm like, I can do this photography thing here. And then I started learning more. I, I learned how to print in a black and white and I learned how to print color. We still had an analog printer in the local art college that they let me run the lab having not known me. Really? Yeah. I just like volunteered to clean the lab and to like mix chemicals. And they like gave me unlimited access to the dark room, the color dark room. There's like a 36 inch printer. Yeah, of course. Like, and I learned how to run it. And I was like the only one. They were like, please come by as much as you can and work on it. So I would go in the morning, I would print, I would go to work and I come back home and the, you know, it was open until two in the morning and I go back in and start printing again after work. And it was glorious and I learned a lot. Yeah, it was awesome. And until the, up until the point where they, they started buying all the ink jets and it's a really, it's really expensive to, to maintain. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you can, in buying, in finding the parts where like if something broke, it was a problem. I mean, I got it. I knew that the time was limited, but this dark room, we had, you know, four by five printers. So I was shooting four by five color and black and white. And so we were just doing big mural prints and it was beautiful. It was this glorious, glorious time. And I was learning a lot and doing a lot of projects and starting to have shows, you know, these coffee shops, stuff like that, but the show stuff I never thought I'd ever do. It was also happening. And I wasn't making a lot of money. I mean, Portland was so cheap at the time. You really could just have. But you were still learning photography stuff because you had this, this, this long-term goal or idea about being a photographer who makes money. But what were you doing for actual money? Oh, so just the first job I had here was package and partial delivery for like a local UPS kind of thing. Okay. That didn't last long because I got a job at Powell's Books. They had a driving department that kind of brought all the books from the warehouses to the stores. And I did that for maybe two years. And then I got a job at one of the stores and just started selling books. Okay, cool. I did that for seven years. And it sort of supported my photography habit. Sure. And then at one point, this is when the beginnings of the x-ray thing were starting to come about. I was having a hard time sustaining that lifestyle. Like, I got to figure out a way to make money doing photography, too. Yep. As a hobby, it could just eat up all your money. Yeah. Just like, how, how do we figure that out? And so that's when I started to try to get like, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll buy a digital camera and I'll do some weddings or product stuff or whatever. And then I also started to do the photo booth thing. So I had the 4x5 with the Polaroid film and the Fuji film eventually because Polaroid went away. Mm -hmm. That was my hottest thing. I would set that up at weddings. And you actually made money doing it. Oh yeah. No, that was lucrative. Oh, cool. And when I got those gigs, they were lucrative. Super cool. I would get four or five of those a year, different kind of events, not just like art openings and stuff like that. We were doing people would pay me to do it. That was awesome. That I kind of was hoping that that would last forever. Mm -hmm. um, but we know what happened the, the fate of pack film. And, oh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes I would do like traditional digital photography for the wedding. And then during the reception, it would transition into the photo booth thing. None of my digital photography ever really looked good 
like you think the pictures weren't good or you didn't like the result? I think it's mostly because I wasn't comfortable with the equipment ever. I was very much more comfortable with the analog equipment and I, I didn't have a, a firm grasp on post-processing yet. That's key. Um, and I didn't have the desire to sit behind a screen for a long time unless it was something that I was personally interested in, like other projects that I was doing that with film photography that I would scan, I would I'd be willing to put a lot of time into those, but it was hard for me to put a lot of time into the, the, the digital stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just like wedding. I don't know. People have such high expectations with weddings. They they do, and it's boring. It's, it's this fucking magical moment, and if you don't capture every magical moment that they have the, in their mind, it's probably even worse with Instagram and stuff now. It's like I don't even know. I don't even. I know that you can make lots of money doing it. It's just I. I just don't think that I'm the guy who could ever do that. No, it's like you know the insta wedding, and, and it's just people are delusional when it comes to what the wedding day is going to be like. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful thing, but it's also just the whole that whole market is and is really disgusting, actually. But my personal opinion, yeah, I I, I mean, I used to work for a, a website uh, company that catered to photographers predominantly and you know you've got product photographers you got the people that have a section for every type of photography on their website and then you got the wedding specialists and some of the wedding specialists are next level it is insane the levels that they go to the packages that they create for people right i just remember this one guy he had he had like a makeup team Jesus. advertised on his website he had a makeup team you know a backup guy a light guy it wouldn't be like a guy and his assistant it would be five people going to every wedding so you're already paying five people how much do you think this costs like i don't, I don't... <laughs> and you're right jim because it was what i realized quickly was if you don't have the best gear yeah and a backup shooter yeah and the hustle and someone maybe even to do the post you're not going to make it no. And I was that into it. So it was, of course I was not. like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. I mean, I'll do the photo booth thing. I'll be the fun of the party during the reception. Cause we used to, we used to have a lot of fun doing those, but I just couldn't be the shooter. And I, and I, you know, over time I quickly realized I'm not a product guy. Robin's food photography is over the top. Amazing. But I, I, her stuff is great. I c- could never do that. I don't have the patience for. I mean, I just wouldn't want to. I'm, I'm just not interested enough. And so it's like I slowly realized that all the available markets for making a living in photography were closing. If you listen to her talk about how she got into it, like she got into it because she got into food blogs or whatever. And it makes sense. It stemmed from something she was interested in. It didn't stem from, I want to make a living with photography. I choose food. You know, it, it was organic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't just get into it because it's 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 the only option. You get into it because you're interested in it, <laughs> or th- hope hopefully you get into it because you're interested in it. You know, photography basically just got relegated to the fine arts world, which is fine. Yeah, and made me really happy. Very lucrative. Very lucrative. <laughs> so lucrative. <laughs> so lucrative that I decided to go back to school. So lucrative that all my fine arts photography friends need other te- need teaching jobs or whatever. <laughs> Am I the only healthcare professional you've had so far? Yes. I asked uh, Danielle. Um, oh, yeah. She's a nurse, right? She's a nurse. Yes. You are the first one. You are the first healthcare person. And I so that's still hard for me to wrap my head around that I am a healthcare professional. It's awesome. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah, the Lord of healthcare. The Lord. Of- 
Okay, so we're we're getting we're getting there now. I realize so, uh, you know, okay, photography is probably I love it, but I need I need it I need I need something. I need a career. Um, I was starting to feel that needy career thing, and I was starting to meet more and more people who had interesting careers or getting their PhDs. And my girlfriend, who is now my wife, you know, she she had gotten her master's degree recently, and. I used to have friends that were doing really interesting things that were different. So I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm like I'm still I'm living like a teenager. <laughs> no, I'm I know I'm swinging oh I'm swinging a hammer still occasionally for my friends, and uh, that's another job I had. And at the time, I was working for the Rebuilding Center here, which is a place that used to pick up used building materials. It was a good job. It was that was the best shape I think I was ever in in my entire life. But it was also a job that would have been way better if I was 25 and not not 35, 38. Lori. I got a public health degree. And so we started talking about what are the kind of things that I could do that would be a good job for the future that I might be into or maybe good at. And then that's when we started looking at the x-ray thing. And it's like, oh, like that's kind of like taking pictures, right? I love the human body. I've always been very fascinated by the human body and I would love to learn more about it. So I looked into it. Then I just started taking some of the prerequisites for x-ray. And it was kind of like a done deal. I got really into it. It was a long process, you know, because I had to work too. How long did it take? It took me about three years to do the prerequisites for the program because you needed A's. And I still had to have an income. So I had to do it part time. And then, you know, at one point we bought a house. I took a term off and, you know, a bunch of, you know, life, life stuff happened. So, you know, it just dragged it out. But once I got into the program, I, I got accepted in 2012. And it's a two-year program. It's like all in balls deep, man. That's all you really could do between classroom and clinical. Some people did have jobs. I don't know how they did that, but I went into it for two years and it was hard. I don't want to say it was easy. I had a lot of anxiety while I was doing it and a lot of doubts because it was a completely different universe than anything else I've ever done. Anything like the culture just shocked me, shocked me more so than I thought it would. What sort of things were you learning? Were you learning technical things or biological things? You should, as an x-ray tech, understand anatomy and physiology to a certain degree. Uh, some techs know it more than others. You need to know enough to be able to pass the registry and to be able to like safely x-ray a person. But you don't need to be that technical-minded a person, and you don't need to be bioscience-minded person. You just need to have enough of it in order to do the job safely and effectively. So you got to learn all this technical stuff, right? You got to learn like radiation science and stuff like that. And you got to learn about the equipment and you got to learn about radiation safety, radiation physics, all this stuff. And in the end, you have kind of have that as a core. The most important thing is to make sure that you're good with people. Do they have a class for that bedside manner? Yes and no. The patient care, there's patient care classes, but that's not something you can learn in a textbook. That's what you're learning in the clinic. Some are better than others. I'm really good at it. I'm really good with patients. I love patients. I love taking care of them. I like helping them through this shitty fucking path of healthcare in this country. You never threw a desk at one of them. Never threw a desk at a patient. Probably never will. They can abuse me more than anybody else is allowed to abuse me because they're the ones having problems. They're, they're suffering. So like if they, if they're having a bad day, I eat it. That's that's the best part about the job is that you're going to help these people um, get through this like really hard problem that they have in their life, and it's a it's a it's a blessing, it's an honor. It's also just draining, it can be emotionally draining. 
so the x-ray school thing, I did that. You know, I listened to some of the people you've had in the program who sort of made a path for themselves. And it's super impressive because the x-ray school thing is just like, it's a path that you go down. It's already there. But it's also, it's a decision that you have to make to take the path. And it, and it can be a lot of work and it can be really hard. And I almost threw the towel in a couple of times, but it, it was already there. I just had to, I just had to stay on course. So does it feel like a triumph when you finish? Yes. Yeah, that's great. So it was the first year after school work was a little thin and we had a newborn. So I couldn't take graveyard shifts very often or anything like that. So I had to, I had to basically just find what day shifts I could take and eventually transition to a full-time job, daytime. It's not without its problems. It's I'm getting a little bored and I, I wouldn't mind learning another modality. Like what, MRI? Yeah. Okay. So it's more schooling. Oh, it really? You have to go back? It's it's not just learning a new machine? I wish. It used to be more like that. It's not anymore. You have to do a bunch of didactic stuff, which is all online now, so it's not that difficult. But you have to basically do all these, you have to do a lot of clinical work, and you have to put all these clinical hours in and get all these comps. It's a lot of time, and that a whole time you work, you're doing that, you can't work. No one will pay you to learn anymore. You have to pay them to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll graduate in nine months. It's only nine months, right? You can make it work for nine months, but that means I'm not, I'm not bringing an income in or I have to start working crazy hours at night. It's it's not super tantalizing, but I also know that the job as an x-ray tech is pretty physical. You're on your feet all day long. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much of that hustle I have left in me. So oh, I'm sure you got plenty. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. But... What's it like now? Like hospitals must, it must be crazy working in a hospital now. I work at OHSU and they have the main hospital and the, where I work is down the bottom of the hill at the Center for Health and Healing. It's a big hospital system um, and they have a main hospital up on the hill. All the ER stuff is happening up in the main hospital and I've done that before. Must be a madhouse. It's exciting, but it's, it's just totally nuts and it's not very well managed and I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not doing it. And right now, everyone up there that works in the x-ray department up there is starting to get COVID now. So everybody's falling. Everybody's getting sick. We're doing okay with my department down at the bottom of the hill. But it's it's nuts right now because you're in demand and people are getting signing bonuses. and Signing bonuses. Yeah. And, you know, they really want you to stick around. But at the same time, there's not enough people. And so you're kind of kind of hustling a little harder than you should be. You should look into getting a I signed a long time ago bonus. <laughs> I'm still no. They call the retention bonuses. <laughs> okay, retention bonuses. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of gave us one, you know. <laughs> oh, that's good. They should. <laughs> they really should. They didn't. It wasn't called a retention bonus. It was more just a thanks for working on the front lines. <laughs> we appreciate you. <laughs> it was. It was. You know, whatever. It was something. I mean, I was, I'm not going to go anywhere. You know. No. I I like my job and I like what I do and sure. You know, my family. We need to work. Right. Of course. Do you feel the healthcare burn? Does COVID make your job worse? Yes. So at first I was like, oh, this is great. There's like the great pause, you know? Yeah. We stopped, we stopped doing all these procedures and we stopped seeing as many patients and it was a little relaxed. And now, you know, they've been going back and forth for so long that they're just afraid, you know, income wise to hold back from seeing patients. So they're just starting to see patients, but we don't really have a lot of the support staff to make it easier or to make it um, more efficient, less of a burden. Staff is now getting sick. We were able to not get sick for so long, but now staff is going down. 
And so that makes it hard when you have a third of your department or a quarter of your department out. That's a big deal. That is brutal. Are, are people just freaked out or toasted? Like, are they just done? Yep. People are quitting. If you're a healthcare professional and you are in demand, you can, you can just quit. But yeah, but then you have to go somewhere else. It's not like the conditions are going to be radically different someplace else. No, but you can wait. A lot of these people, folks will have enough money saved that they'll be like, it's not a good environment right now to work. I'll just stay home with the kids or my partner's making enough money and, or they'll try to find a job in their field, like an RN or something that's doing something more admin. And so there's a lot of moving around. There's a lot of scrambling to find human resources these days. That's my hot take from my x-ray booth. How does it affect you, you on a daily basis interpersonally? Are your interactions with people more stressful because of COVID or does do you not care about that? I try not to have that affect my interactions with people. Like from the patient care standpoint, I try not to have it affect them because that's not their fault. But the harder you work, the more stressed you are that you're going to take that home. You know, I don't have a lot of juice at the end of the day these days. In like, it's COVID time. So like living is weird. It's hard to plan for the future. You can't do a lot of the fun things you were doing before. There's no fun. There's no, it's a sucks. I mean, I'm burned out. I don't work anywhere and I'm completely burned out. Yeah, I got some burnout, but I'm also kind of constantly amazed at how fortunate we are. Yes, me too. And that's why I feel weird complaining about it. I know. You can. So I tried to like check myself quite a bit, but I'm also tired. And I don't know if that would change post-COVID. It's just, you know, my job could be exhausting. You just said post-COVID as if it was going to end. It's not. <laughs> it's never going to end. <laughs> we live in purgatory. And it's like, we're not we're not the people that just ignore all the safety precautions. You know, we just don't do that. So we're careful. It doesn't matter. I just got it. I almost took pride that I hadn't gotten it yet. And then... You know, my daughter comes home, she's sick, and then Marlene gets sick, and then the other daughter gets sick, and then I got, I mean, I didn't get sick. I was positive. I, I, I didn't, I had very, very incredibly mild symptoms. In normal times, it wouldn't have kept me out of work. Like, it was a headache and a very mild sore throat. Marlene was the sickest. She was down for a couple of days, and we had, we had avoided it the whole time. Yeah. I work in healthcare, and I hadn't gotten it. Yeah. It's not if, it's when. You're going to get it. Now I have direct staff members that I work with yeah. every day that are out with COVID. And so it's coming. You might have it right now. I might. I do have a little bit of a sinus headache right now. So who knows? See? And that's how you live. Yeah. You know, there's a sniffle. Uh-oh. We're going down. The ship's going down. It's been like that for two years. What's the, the passion level? Like you said, you're getting kind of bored with it, but you still are engaged with the job. Does it take up most of your mental power are you still making some sort of art what what are your extracurriculars like how how's how's it going how, how are you are you are you just burned out from medical job or are you doing other stuff too are are you are you living the portland dream uh the portland dream i think the portland dream is, is gone <laughs> uh, uh portland has turned into a, a little different place but that's 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 a whole another conversation you've talked a lot about success on your show a little bit yeah and it seems like a fluid term. It's not concretely defined for everybody. Yeah. Well, it ends up being used generically most of the time. I feel like it comes down to kind of the same thing with most people. I guess with X-Ray, my goals were get a job, do something that you you find interesting, make enough money to you know have a family and 
to not live hand to mouth again for the rest of my life and have enough money to pursue my fine arts interests. All of those are happening except the fine arts interests. And so I don't know what happened. And I don't know if it's because I look at images all day long or I blew my load in x-ray school. I don't know. But when it comes to photography, like I'm not doing it at that level with that passion that I was doing it before. And more, it's like, you know, just taking the Hasselblad out with us when we go on a hike or it's not about, I have this project I'm doing and I need to set up these shoots and, and then I can't wait to get the film back so I can scan it and I can spend hours, you know, processing it and then trying to print for a show. It's all gone. It bums me out. It's not there anymore. I mean, and I don't know if I'm over overwhelmed by the Instagram world. There's imaging everywhere, images, pictures, 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 pictures everywhere in my life, you know? And I don't know if I'm just like, by the time I'm done with that, I don't want to go and look at a screen and do any editing or what. It's just sort of there. And I'll get back all these rolls from the hassle button. I'll be like, God, these are beautiful. I love these, you know? And I'm like, oh man, like I get prints. I get prints so I don't have to scan the film. I don't want to look at the computer anymore. Right. Because I mean, that is a huge component of my job every day is looking at the screen. Just kind of over it. I want to read books or, you know, play the drums. That's all I want to do. You're playing drums now? Did you play drums before? I don't even remember. I guess vaguely, I remember there being a drum kit in your in your room in Hadley. So I had Brian's kit after after the band broke up. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> nice. That's, that's a relatively recent thing. I'm like, I needed some sort of creative outlet, right? But I know photography's not doing it for me. And I read a lot, but that's not really the same. It's pretty great, though, that you can that you find the time to do it. I, I think it's great. I read a lot, but it's uh, it's not heady stuff. It's fantasy and sci-fi, you know? That's fine. The last thing I read was a book about Bitcoins. And before that, it was a self-help book. Yeah, it doesn't sound like fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> fantasy sounds so much better. <laughs> it is. It really is. But it's, it, I, get, I get stuck in there sometimes. But. Yeah. So like about a year ago, I was thinking about playing the drums again. And there's more resources now for learning than 20 years ago. Oh my God. It's so great, isn't it? Oh, it's so great. And I'm like, you know what? I could actually probably, between the online stuff and all that, I could, I could probably, I don't have to take drum lessons by some pretentious music snob somewhere, you know? No, like, if you could find a cool, well, I mean, Todd Hennig lives in your neighborhood now. Oh, no, I know. Well, he doesn't live in my neighborhood, but he lives close enough. And Todd's a god yeah. <laughs> when it comes to drums. I'm not, not taking lessons from the gods. <laughs> no, I, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he gives lessons, but I just, do you, do you hang out with him at all? No, I have, I have yet to hang out with him. I would, he's got two beautiful girls and stuff. Anyway, so I, like last year, last spring, I started looking into drum sets and I can't have one in the house because my family will hate me. I bought an electronic set. And so they're just, like, I didn't even think it was an option until I started looking at drums again. And I started seeing the electronic drum sets out there and they're like night and day over 20 years ago. Oh, I can imagine. I'm, I can imagine. And the one I bought is not a very high end one, but it's awesome. And I'm running it through some good software and it's just killer. And so I started teaching myself how to play drums. Sweet. Yeah. And it's like, I had no expectations and I'm not interested in joining bands. I'm not, I just want to learn how to do this thing, this creative thing. Yeah. Well, if you get it, if you get good enough, you'll be able to basically join any band because everybody else plays guitar. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, I, I have played with someone already. I didn't expect to, but, and we're going to get together again, maybe this weekend. So it's, it's happening. But it's, but it's not, it's not, there's no expectations. And that's what I love the most about it. So it's like, I can just kind of bang away on this, can learn at it at my pace. 
and it's good. So it sort of satisfied the, the creative part that's been missing for the last five years from x-ray school and so on and so forth. Mostly a success going to x-ray school, becoming an x-ray tech, kind of ticked off all the boxes. You don't go through life thinking, I regret so many things. What about that landscape photography career? I think if it was that that kind of career was more accessible and I walked away from it, then I might be more upset about it. Sure. But they're so incredibly difficult to have that kind of career. Some people do it, but it's a, it, there's a lot of hustle with that. And you have to be self-driven in ways that I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm not driven like that. Yeah, no, I can relate. I can relate. And I don't like marketing myself. I hate that. I hate the hustle. Yeah, I'm happy with the x-ray thing. You know, if you had talked to me if we, 20 years ago when we were driving around Winstead, you know, uh-huh. in the, what was the, <laughs> whatever cars we had at the time. And you said, yeah, you're going to be an x-ray tech someday. <laughs> You'd be like, that's, that's nonsense. <laughs> that's nonsense. I don't have any regrets. I guess maybe I, if I had gotten my shit together a little earlier, that'd be great. But I was also doing what I wanted to do. I always had a job. I always take care of myself. And that's when I think about high schoolers and they're getting out now and they're like, they got nothing for them, ready for them. You know what I'm saying? There's like, you either go to school, spend a lot of money on education where you can't get a job or you just have fun, but it's, it's hard to live. I feel like we got lucky. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we did, because I feel like that's what I did. I had fun. I did my thing. I have had a fair amount of luck. You know, I have days when I feel unlucky which is stupid, I know, because the fact that I'm doing this and I'm not earning any money and I'm able to do this because I'm secure enough that this is possible means that I am lucky. But I also feel like if I had played my cards differently, I would have more opportunities now. And that's why I think it's cool to hear about you going back and retraining to be an x-ray tech or something practical. And and I've I've been thinking about stuff like that lately, but I don't have like i don't know like someone told me recently about a teaching program and i'm like i don't want to be a teacher i mean maybe i want to be a teacher i think i'd be an okay teacher but like do i want to be a teacher what do you want to teach i don't know yeah that's what i mean like i i just i just i'm just like this lost boy i feel like peter pan or something Uh, yeah i I don't so you i'm I'm assuming you haven't found anything no hell no i feel bad because i don't understand i kind of i kind of don't understand like what it is that you do or why it's so hard to find a job doing what you're doing i don't either and but is it because you're in a foreign country and you're an american i think that that might be part of it but i also think i I think that a key component is age and i'm not a specialist i'm like a swiss army knife see and and so i think that's great (laughs) but it's not it's hard to get a job you got to be specialized in something it's horrible i was talking to a guy yesterday i was on kind of a network uh conference thing and conference, I just was talking to a friend of a friend who who runs a web company. And he, I guess we both kind of came to the conclusion that I need to work for myself. But like, I don't even know what to say. It's like, yeah, I'm a video guy. I'm a photo guy. But like, we've already discussed that I don't want to do anything that people want to pay for in the world of photography. I can do audio and, and video stuff, but you know, other people can do it probably better than me. A lot of people do it worse than me as well. I think that the strength is that you can hire me and I can take care of a whole swath of things instead of having five specialists. And evidently, it's not as much of a bonus as I thought it was going to be. One of the things that we were discussing yesterday was how when 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 I first lost my job, I wasn't worried at all. And I thought, 
it's a no brainer. I'm going to get a job pretty quickly. This is going to be great. You know, then six months in, I was kind of like, oh, this is much harder than I expected. I, I didn't, I didn't expect to be unemployed for six months. Now I'm 12 months in, and I'm completely boggled. And I have days where I look at things that I would never have considered before. I was rejected recently for a stereo salesman job. What? Yeah. Wow. But that, that was a language thing. Like the guys liked me. Like I hung out with them and, and it was cool. But the big boss was just like, I can see scenarios where there would be confusion on the floor because his language ability is not 100%. Yeah, that's a big barrier. It is. It's a huge barrier. My Dutch is not good. It's it's definitely good enough for general store stuff, but I mean, it's not that he's wrong. He's not wrong, but like I I mean after 3 3 interviews I really thought I was going to at least get that and I was like, "Oh, whatever. At least maybe I'll be I'll be able to get a discount at the stereo store." <laughs> <laughs> at the very least. Yeah, you know. And and then but no. That would have you would have that would have drove you crazy after a while too. It would have it would have, but at least for temporarily, I think it would have been okay, and it made it would have made me feel a little bit less like a an unemployed forty five year old guy. <laughs> it would it would have made me feel a lot less like that. Yeah, there are days when I'm just like, oh, it's just a matter of time, and then other days, like yesterday, I was really bummed out. I was just very despondent. Yeah, I don't, I don't God, I don't even know what to say because it's. I've never had to look for those kind of jobs. I know. It's crazy. I, I just think it's weird to be this age and this desperate. But the thing is, I'm not desperate, obviously, because if I was desperate, I would be delivering the mail or something. Not. I don't want to be disparaging about delivering the mail because delivering the mail in the U.S. is an actual job. Here, they hire anybody to deliver the mail and they pay them practically nothing. <laughs> and so that's why I say that. Maybe, and I'm sure you've already tried to like think of other things that you can do besides what you do, but then you're going to, you're back to square one. That's what I mean. Like, I think it's cool that you trained as an x-ray person and you know, that worked out for you. And I'm trying to think like, well, I guess, I guess I can take this time and, and retrain for something, but then it comes down to what do I want to do? What's in my heart? Right. And I don't know. I don't know what's in my heart except for blackness. <laughs> except for a bottomless pit. Greed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, you're kind of in a weird spot because a you know you're partnered up with somebody, so you're not that desperate. No, no, she's doing really well. Right, and and you and there's also things you can do to help the family by being unemployed. But at the same time, it's I feel like it's morally. And maybe this is because we grew up in the U.S. I'm not sure. Uh huh. But like, I've always had a job. Yeah, me too. And like the first thing I did, no matter where I went after traveling or something, was get a job. Got to get a job. I've always had luck. Totally. Never paid well. Yeah. Never made a lot of money, but I always had a job. And the only times I didn't have a job, it was deliberate and intentional. And so to be in a situation where you're, and I, you've always had a job too. Always. Always. And it didn't matter if you were serving ice cream or working in the lab or whatever, you always had a job. Yes. To not is, it's like, it's almost like you're not being you. It is a big part of my identity. <laughs> it's got to be very disruptive. It is. And like, yeah, you're lucky. You're in a situation where, you know, you're not living in the backseat of your car or whatever. Exactly. But there's also like... Everyone's well-fed. Yeah, everyone's well-fed. They're healthy, healthy. You know, I'm assuming everyone's okay. Mm -hmm. It's just you don't have... There's not this other thing that's pushing it. And you shouldn't just get whatever job. You shouldn't just get whatever fuck off job. No, but that's where that's kind of where my brain goes now. 
Yeah, because you're used to having a job. Yes. Right? Yes. So, like, you should be getting a job that makes sense. And, and I don't know if you're hearing the same thing from other people or what, but. Not specifically, but I, you know. Okay. Well, I, you know, you can't just get, like, getting the job at the stereo store would have been great. But that's just you getting a job. Yeah. And it would have done nothing but take away from you being able to find another job. It might have kicked things into gear, like, universally. You know, the universe might have been like, oh, okay, now we'll give him the job. <laughs> Finally. Finally. <laughs> Things are back in line. The he had to go line. this direction first, and then we can come back. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, and sometimes it feels like the universe works like that, but it might have just been like, now I have to manage the kids, and I have to get this job, and, and now, you know, for nothing. It's just a job at a, you know, stereo store. Not to just, it's not just a job, but. It's not the job you want. No. Well, I mean, no, and it's not. It's not. So, hold on, I guess. I don't know. Keep on going. Keep on trucking. I know. It's, it's, I know. I'm, it's like platitudes. But I don't know what to say. Today, I went to to the movies. Oh, what'd you go see? Sing 2. <laughs> I'm assuming you went with your girls. Uh, no, I went by myself. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I went with them. And... One of the things I made a note at the very beginning of the movie, one of the characters says that this takes guts, stamina, and strength. <laughs> and I was just like, this trite children's movie is trying to teach me something. <laughs> it takes guts, stamina, and strength. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good things to take away from kids' movies. I think that there are. I mean, it's it's very like I said, it's trite, but it's not untrue. I suppose to a certain degree. I mean, you could argue about it. You could argue about anything, really. <laughs> I, I, I am tired of arguing. I, I'm just tired of arguing. I feel like I'm missing something, but... I'm happy with my decision. I, I would say I feel like I'm mostly successful when it comes to that particular piece Yeah. in my life. I sniffed the wind right, I guess, is a good way to put it. And it, it, seems to, it seems to be a good fit. and It was a pretty radical change, and it was a pretty big risk, but it wasn't that big a risk because it was a set course. I just I kind of wish I was still in love with photography because that's kind of what I was hoping to have some money to do more photography stuff. That's the only sad part about it for me. But I think that might have happened anyway. Given your track record, maybe it would have. I, the guy that I did last time, the last the, the one that's online right now, he is a photographer. And he said something, you know, he went to graduate school and did the whole the whole nine yards. One of the things he said during our talk was that he started the photography thing and then he just felt like he, he just had to keep doing it. Whether it was external pressure or his own internal pressure, he just felt like he couldn't do anything else. Like he wasn't supposed to do anything else. Huh. Okay. I sort of relate to that a little bit and that I feel like I needed to stick with some sort of an arts niche or whatever. It's not always the best plan for everybody. I was pretty stressed out about it for a long time because I was like, okay, we're done with school. And, you know, all right, all right, here we go. Let's get back in, uh, back on the horse. And I just couldn't find the inspiration. And it just never showed back up. Then I started to get kind of bummed out. I'm like, man, but I'm just like non-creative garbage. And I just started to feel really like, geez, like I got to have something else. Yeah. And it's still gone. It hasn't come back. And I've just kind of picked up something else that's sort of scratching the same itch. Well, the dr drumming, you mean? Yeah, like picking up something else that's a creative outlet. Dude, it's like revisiting an old friend. I guess that's true. And that's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> Maybe in 20 years, I'll be a photographer again. You never know. I You never know. You know what I've been saying a lot lately? Art isn't going anywhere. You're probably not going to make any money with it, though. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that point, at this point, it's no big deal. Right. And so it's just like, that's the thing that, that part of it's gone. Yeah. Right. That, that part where it was like, you, maybe that was part of the deal. It's just like, you knew you, you knew you were going to have to try to like make a living with this or something. So you have to really stay invested in it. People can make it happen. If you play the game right, you make money, but it's hard. Not that we know the secret to making it in the arts. No, but I, I know it would, doesn't help. <laughs> Me too. I, <laughs> I could write a book about what not to do. <laughs> then they can just extrapolate what to do from that. Just do all the other stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, so, hey, I got I got something we can close with. You ready? When, when you started this uh, podcast, I, I, call, I asked my mom, I said, hey, mom, remember you used to have that... It was like a little, it's called the school years book. It was like a little book with pages on it and a little envelope and a place to put a photo and where to write words. And it was like kindergarten, first grade, you know, second grade. And it was like, who's your teacher? What school are you at? Stuff like that. But there's a little section that says what I want to be when I grow up. Yes. And so I'm going to, I didn't, we didn't get very far in this book, but I'm going to, I'm going to go through the, the ones that I have for you. Please right. do. <clears throat> so in fourth grade. I wanted to be an astronaut. Yes. In the third grade, I wanted to be in the Coast Guard. In the first grade, I wanted to be a baseball player. Okay. And in kindergarten, I wanted to be a mother. Because <laughs> moms are the best. <laughs> they are. What a great idea that was. <laughs> so I fear that we can close on that. That's a really good place to end. Go hug your mom. Go hug your mom. Thanks for being on the show, Jason. Thanks for doing this podcast. It's... It kind of was something I always wanted to see and hear anyway. And to see you do it was really amazing. I'm glad to hear that. You should tell more of your friends about it. I will. Bye. Bye. That was Jason. It was nice to catch up with him. My favorite part was when he said that moving to Portland felt like finding home. I think that's the theme or the takeaway from this episode. Sometimes just getting away from people and places with baked-in ideas and expectations can be all you need to ignite your creativity and help you find what you're looking for. I'm not sure that worked out for me, but but contrary to popular belief, this show isn't all about me. I mean, it sort of is. I understand now why he initially said that he didn't have any goals or didn't recall wanting to be anything specific when he was younger. My impression was different, but I think he was looking at it more like a search and my interpretation was that he was goal-oriented. Perhaps? I'll let you decide. Either way, thanks for being on the show, Jason. We will talk later. You can find examples of Jason's work if you need x-rays and you live in Portland. You may also choose to visit his woefully ignored Flickr account. Those are his words, not mine. Flickr.com slash photos slash photobooth-projects. Of course, you can check the episode notes for actual links. You can find Feel Free to Deviate on Instagram or Facebook at Feel Free to Deviate. You can also go to feelfreetodeviate.com for more information. There's a donate page there. Do not feel weird about contributing to the show. Believe me, it is not weird. And it would be nice to offset some of the costs of running things. No pressure. This is mostly a labor of love. The guest on the next episode of Feel Free to Deviate is Dr. K. Atsuki. She is an associate professor of international development studies at Utrecht University. Make sure you download it and listen to it and tell all your friends about it. Once again, thank you for listening. Be excellent to each other. And I'll be back in two weeks. Bye.